again for another time of talking about the South. Hello, how y'all doing? I'm John Rawl. Wonderful to be back with you here as we get set for three hours of conversation about what's going on across the Southeast here in this middle of the week edition of Talk with a Southern Accent. We are presented in part by y'all.com. Did you realize that y'all is the South's homepage? If you didn't, well, I'm telling you now. And you can go to the homepage of the South and find out fun stuff and educational stuff, informative stuff. It's all right there at YALL.com. Please do yourself a favor, do your friends a favor, and go check it out. And tell them John sent you from the Y'all Show. Coming up on this Wednesday edition of Talk with a Southern Accent, we've got a lot of headlines that we'll be getting to here on today's Y'all Show. We'll also walk through the sports goings on of the Southeast, our spotlight school today, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons out of the ACC. Dave Clawson has done a yeoman's job coaching the Deacons on the gridiron over the last five to ten years. And we've got some audio from Coach Clawson that we'll be sharing with you later this hour as we tell you more about Wake Forest's upcoming 2021 schedule and walk you through some of the successes this program in Winston-Salem has enjoyed over the last decade or two. Remember, they went to an Orange Bowl not all that long ago. They won the ACC not all that long ago. And we'll discuss all this again. Wake Forest is today's latest stop on our tour across the southeast and we'll be dropping by the campus of Wake Forest University, at least virtually dropping by in Winston-Salem. So check it out, and we'll let you know about their new football stadium name as well. All that here in our first hour glance at the Deeks. Plus, before the hour is up, Melissa Rhodes has got an accent on Southern culture that she'll be sharing with us. Coming up, hour two of today's Y'all Show, more headlines from across the southeast. Plus, we'll be catching up with more of our Media Days recap from last week. We'll be hearing from a guy who's done quite a good job. In fact, I remember Wake Forest had a whole lot to do with the ascension of Dabo Sweeney as the coach of Clemson. Now, we're going to have to go back some 12, 13 years. But it was a Thursday night loss at Wake Forest that led the Clemson Nation to erupt and got Tommy Bowden fired in midseason. And a guy named Dabo Sweeney ended up taking over the Clemson football program on an interim basis. And from there, he got the chance to be the head coach, and he's still writing his best-selling book with the Clemson football program. We're going to hear from the current coach of Clemson, Dabo Sweeney. He was at the ACC Media Days in Charlotte, We've got audio from him. Plus, we're going to take you to Hoover, and you'll hear the brand-new coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores. His name is Clark Lee. He was at the podium in Hoover at the Winfrey Hotel, and we'll get some thoughts from the Vandy skipper about him coaching his alma mater as he's come to Nashville from several years being a defensive genius with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and now he gets the chance to coach Vandy in his home area of Nashville. Clark Lee, audio from the Vandy Coach coming up in the second hour of today's Y'all Show. Got some business headlines we're going to be sharing with you before the second hour ends, as well as the latest best-selling books out there. All that coming up, hour two. And in hour three of today's Y'all Show, more sports goings on. Again, with our sports goings on today, we're going to weigh in on the big Texas and Oklahoma divorce settlement that's currently underway between those two Goliaths 
in college sports and the Big 12 Conference, and their new mistress, the mistress that OU and UT have, the Southeastern Conference. All that coming up, plus more about Wake Forest, the tradition, the famous alumni, and more as part of our 44-city tour. Wake Forest is our stop today. More headlines and more fun in our final hour of today's Y'all Show. If you want to be involved, we will welcome any and all feedback you have. It's real easy. You can email us at mail at yall.com. That's the easiest way. That's the way that you can send us whatever's on your mind, including maybe some pictures, or if you've got a little video clip you want to send our way, mail at y'all.com is one way for us to get your feedback. Plus, you can also always text us our number, 803-816-1170. That is a line you can text anytime you feel like it, 24-7. And it's available for all y'all that listen to us on our radio stations. It's available for all of you who listen to us each day on our podcast options. And we're growing and growing and growing now. There are some days where over a 1,000 people, more than a 1,000 people, listen to us courtesy of our various podcast options. So I want to thank the thousands of people each week that listen to the Y'all Show podcast. We're growing this thing. It's not only an Apple podcast now. It's in Stitcher. It's in the iHeartRadio app. It's the TuneIn app. It's now available in Spotify. So check it out free of charge. It's very easy for you to share, and we hope you do that. Again, Y'all Show podcast form. You can get this three-hour show in your pocket, literally in your pocket. If you've got a smartphone, if you've got an iPad, you can listen to it anywhere you go. If you've got a long road trip, boy, we'll make your road trip a lot more entertaining. Just put us on, hit play, and let the miles just float by. If you're driving or if you're flying, put that mask on in the plane you're in (laughs) and bring on the South because that's what we're doing here on the show that really is all about the South, and we're proud to be the South's show. Diving into headlines here as we start out this first hour of talking about everything going on in the Southeast today. And we have some unfortunate news from the law enforcement world of Alabama. A Selma, Alabama police officer fatally shot at his apartment and his significant other injured police officer, Marquise Moore, fatally shot while on duty as Dallas County District Attorney, that's in Alabama, Michael Jackson, did identify the 25-year-old officer as the deceased person there as he was killed Tuesday morning in Selma, Alabama, Officer Marquise Moore. The shooting happened early on Tuesday between 3.30 and 4. When Moore was on duty, he stopped by his apartment at Selma Square Apartments for his lunch break, which would have been in the middle of the night, but I guess that's how... It happens when you work overnights. A suspect evidently approached the officer and opened fire. It also wounded a woman who was Moore's significant other. The woman was hospitalized, but the severity of her injuries not currently available. This is a developing story out of Selma, Alabama, in Dallas County, Alabama. The Selma Police, the Dallas County Sheriff's Office, ATF, and the 4th Judicial Drug Task Force are working the investigation and one person in the law enforcement community of that portion of Alabama is the district attorney, and that's Dallas County DA Michael Jackson. And Michael Jackson said of the fallen officer that he was an outstanding officer. He took his job 
very seriously. The mayor of Selma is James Perkins. He and Chief Kenta Fuford spoke early on Tuesday about the death of the officer asking for the community's prayer. And our prayers here with the All Show go to this unfortunate incident that happened. The place where this happened, the apartment complex, is still an active scene and an active investigation going on. Anyone with information is asked to call there in the Selma area, 855-75-CRIME or 855-752-7463. Central Alabama Crime Stoppers offering a $2,500 reward for any information and the murder of an on-duty police officer going back to his house there in Selma, Alabama, and being gunned down. Of course, we can suspect what might have happened, but at the bottom line, this was a guy who was on duty, fatally shot at his own apartment. And our thoughts go to his family and all those on the Selma, Alabama police force. The man who killed several people back a few months ago at the Atlanta area massage business where he went in and killed people, innocent people, at the mostly Asian massage spas around Atlanta. This man has pleaded guilty to four of the eight deaths at the Atlanta area businesses. Robert Aaron Long has now pleaded after his March shooting, a rampage of shooting throughout North Atlanta into Cobb County and perhaps even into Cherokee County. The man accused, I think he was from the Canton area, was his home area, accused of killing eight people at three Atlanta area massage businesses, now pleading guilty in Cherokee County, Georgia, on Tuesday, hoping for a sentence of life without parole for the first four of the shooting deaths. Now, he still faces the death penalty if convicted in four more shooting deaths, those in Atlanta. But I think his crime spree actually started there around Canton in Cherokee County, 45 minutes north of downtown Atlanta. And he's alleged to have gone in and killed several different people at several different spas. The 22-year-old defendant has signed a plea deal admitting to all charges in Cherokee County where he was accused of malice murder, felony murder, attempt to commit murder, and aggravated assault. And his other crimes going on in Atlanta are still to be determined. There he killed a 69-year-old, a 74-year-old, a 51-year-old, and a 63-year-old. And in Cherokee County, he killed four people there, including a 49-year-old, a 44-year-old, a 33-year-old, and a 54-year-old man. And his crime victims were mostly Asian women, but not all of them were. I think he killed a Hispanic male, and he also killed a white male who happened to be there, I think, working in the building. And this outbreak of violence happened, and this guy ended up being killed alongside the other people. Just a very awful story from earlier in the year and somewhat of an update going on in the story with this man pleading guilty on Tuesday. If you tuned in to NBC, I'm going to put on my political cap for just a second. If you tuned in to NBC on Tuesday morning, you might have seen, instead of Olympics coverage, which essentially has taken over the Peacock channel, they broke away from Olympics coverage to go to Washington, D.C., and they were the only network television that I could see, at least, on their network air, putting forward on live TV coverage of the House hearing on the January 6th riot. And if you tuned in like I did, I thought this was something that was earth-shattering that was going to be going on. I saw people, and I, I don't mean to 
make light of the situation. But some of these people that were law enforcement, if 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 they're going to sit up there and be crying essentially because of some of the verbiage tossed their way, I got news for them. They, they might be in the wrong business. Now, I realize some of these Capitol Police officers did have things sprayed on them, irritants and more. They had a, a tough day. There's no doubt about it. But I have seen myself with my own eyes. I have been the victim of a riot-type event where people hurled insults and threats my way. And I didn't go before the U.S. House and break out in tears. And I'm not just talking about the Capitol Police. Adam Kinzinger, the Republican congressman from Illinois, he was up there getting all choked up. I don't know if it was an act, but it sure seemed like it. Remember, this is the House committee that Benny Thompson of Mississippi is chairing. It only has two Republican members, Kinzinger and Liz Cheney of Wyoming. None of the people that the House Minority Leader McCarthy wanted are on that committee anymore. So you didn't have basically another side of the story being told. And I have had discussions with many about this thing. Everybody has an opinion. I just find it very odd that, again, this was a bad scene. It was a bad scene for President Trump. It was a bad scene for Republicans. It was a bad scene for the country. But a lot of these characters involved with this are still sitting in jail. They have not been given the freedom and the rights that you would get. They basically have had habeas corpus suspended over the last six months, seven months, as a result of their actions on January 6th, which was not an insurrection. I'm seeing stories come out calling it that. It was not an insurrection. I'm only saying it wasn't because no one has been charged with insurrection. They've been charged with being knuckleheads, and they should be prosecuted. They should serve time. They should pay penalties. But all should be given a right for perhaps getting out on bond, having a chance to be a a, a normal criminal. And and these people, in some ways, and, and maybe in every way, are criminals. But this is embarrassing for this country to see what has happened to these people. And it was also embarrassing to have these metropolitan police officers up essentially crying and complaining about having insults thrown their way. You're going to have insults thrown your way when you're out there wearing a badge in today's world. And that's not fair, but that's just reality. And these people should have known that. And remember, we've got at least one person killed there. And I won't even call it murder because perhaps the officer that shot that woman, Babbitt, as she tried to enter the chamber, truly had the right to shoot her. But we don't know. That that whole investigation has been hush, hush, hush. We don't even know who shot Babbitt. And, of course, she was the only one, if there if there was a murder that happened there that day, it would have been her. I saw or heard one of the people testifying Tuesday calling the death of the Capitol Police officer who died a victim of what happened on January 6th, and that's come out. His own mother said that that so-called riot didn't cause her own son's death. Something else happened to him. So, again, we all can get on the edge of what happened January 6th, but, boy, a spectacle in some ways being played out before a lot of people's eyes Tuesday. And 
again, I bring this story up because NBC broke away from their Olympics coverage in a pretty good time spot. I assume if it were 11 o'clock Eastern when NBC was carrying some of this, it would have been about 10 p.m. Tokyo time the next day, or maybe it was 11 a.m. in Tokyo the, the on what would that be, Wednesday, Tokyo? And I'm sure Olympic stuff was going on, and they were covering the madness of the Capitol riot of January 6th. Hmm. A runoff in the Lone Star State is underway to decide who fills the seat of U.S. Representative Wright as Ron Wright died as the first member of Congress to die after being diagnosed with COVID-19. Remember, there was a congressman-elect from Louisiana that died before he ever got sworn into office, and his widow is now representing Northeast Louisiana in Congress. But here was an actual member of Congress, Ron Wright, who in February died from COVID-19, and now his wife, his widow, Susan Wright, a GOP party activist, carried the endorsement of former President Trump into the special election runoff with Jake Elsey, a Republican state legislator who was backed for, by former Governor Rick Perry. And together, these two are in line to potentially succeed Ron Wright. The votes and more being tallied, but they will, one of these two Republicans will end up going and serving out the term of the late congressman from Texas. The governor of West Virginia is Jim Justice, and this Republican governor says he opposes a vaccine mandate for West Virginia's state employees. Now, New York and California California have recently said they will soon require state employees to get inoculated, but the governor of West Virginia said he doesn't think that will be necessary in the Mountain State. During a press conference earlier this week, he said, it's nothing that I'm considering now. I think right now in the state of West Virginia, Justice said that they've done so well and where we are at this point in time, considering mandating kids or colleges or teachers at state employees or whatever it may be to be vaccinated. I wish like crazy that they all were, but that's not on the radar right now. So West Virginia could be similar to some southern states who were not necessarily forcing their own employees of the state to go out and be vaccinated, especially now that vacations and summer break from school and more are going on and coming to an end. A sad developing story from one of the most famous Southern families out there. The grandson of Reverend Billy Graham is in critical condition in this developing story. Jonathan Lotz, who worked with his grandfather from 1994 through 2002, is in an ICU at an undisclosed hospital. And again, a developing story. Lotz, the grandson of Reverend Billy Graham. I don't have an age. I'm going to kind of take a guess that he must be somewhere in his 40s. And his mother is Ann Graham Lotz, who is the founder of the Angel Ministries in Raleigh, North Carolina. And she's the one over the past weekend who announced her son's diagnosis. As she wrote, 50 years ago, I could hold my son in my arms. So I guess he's right at 50 now. She wrote that, and then she went on to say, Ann Graham Lotz, now I have pleaded or placed him in the arms of Jesus. He's been hospitalized with COVID and is in critical condition. I'm asking you to pray for Jonathan Swift healing and recovery. As of at least Monday, he was not on a ventilator at this undisclosed hospital. But again, 
the grandson of the great Southern evangelist Billy Graham, currently in a in a really tough struggle with COVID nineteen, and we wish the Graham family and the Lots family all the best in his recovery. Y'all talk with a Southern accent. We'll continue. We'll take a break. Come right back here with some sports news. What is going on with Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC? I'll share the latest on that. And we'll also have other sports goings on. Before the hour's up, we'll take a look at the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Today's stop on our 44-city tour across the South, getting you ready for the start of college football season. More y'all is coming up. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em, remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Why have you left the one you left me for? Has she heard like me that slam and door? Did you leave for good or just get bored? Why have you left the one you left me for? Is she what you wanted? Or has If you're hanging out on the beach right now looking for a good summertime soap opera, we've got one playing out in real life. Back into y'all talk with a southern accent with your host, John Rawl. And that soap opera just happens to be the University of Texas, the University of Oklahoma, the Big 12 Conference, and then the Mistress. And that would be the Southeastern Conference. As we know, on Monday, OU and UT both said that they would not be renewing their relationship with ESPN for Big 12 media rights. Or I guess it was with the conference, but really it was more for... It, that could have been with Fox. I don't know. I don't know. That's in the past. What's in the future for these two Goliaths of college sports? On Tuesday... Well, the future got a little bit clearer about what their intentions are as they put out there for all the world to see that they want to be in the SEC as both Oklahoma and Texas formally notified the Southeastern Conference of a membership request for the year 2025. That, according to a statement from the flagship programs of the Big 12, Texas and Oklahoma, no doubt about it, they are the the big daddies, if you will, of the Big 12, and, and these two programs are looking to take their toys and go to the SEC. According to this release put out by the two schools, they've sent SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey a request. The two universities look forward to the prospect of discussion regarding the matter, according to a statement from both schools. Texas President Jay Hartzell, Oklahoma President Joseph Haraz Jr. wrote, We believe there would be mutual benefit to the universities on the one hand and the SEC, on the other hand, 
for the universities to become members of the SEC. Now, according to some sources, if you will, presidents from the Southeastern Conference, presidents and chancellors are meeting on Thursday to consider OU and Texas for official membership in what would become the first 16-team super conference. That's a lot of schools out there all in one conference. But remember, even back 30 years ago, back in the 80s, is that more like, that's more than 30. Back, let's go back 35 years ago. The SEC had 10 members when most conferences had at most eight members. So the SEC has always been just a little bit kind of ahead of the game from a membership standpoint. And so going from 14 to 16 may not be that big of a change. Now, if these presidents and chancellors on Thursday decide to actually put together a vote on whether to accept OU and Texas and their request to be SEC members, a three-fourths majority vote from them would be required for invitations to be extended. That's 11 of 14 of the presidents and chancellors of the Southeastern Conference have to say, I do. And if they say, I do, and they get 11 of 14, OU and, and Texas will be extended that invitation. And they can come on down, to Birmingham at least, <laughs> and be SEC members. Now, they're asking the Big 12 to essentially be members in that conference through the 2024 football season. Essentially, July 1st, 2025 would be the first day they would be official members of the Southeastern Conference in all sports. I think they ought to speed that thing up. I think they've got the money, the power, the influence, and more that they could perhaps move it up two years and make it July 1st of 2023, which would mean this coming season of football and the following season would be the final years those two schools would be in the Big 12. And maybe by that time the SEC could juggle schedules and come up with a plan to add these schools making it probably a 10-game SEC schedule going forward. And I wonder what that would look like. What Right now there are, I think it's a 14-year gap in some cases of when you last play in a stadium. 14 years. Example of that is this year Alabama plays at the Swamp. It's 2021. I think the last time Alabama played a game at Florida Field might have been the 2008 season, perhaps 2007, because these are teams in opposite divisions of the SEC, and they just don't play that often. And then you'll play now one year, you'll play on the road, then you might not see that team again for seven years. That's too long. So if – it's almost a must that the SEC add these two schools. If they're out there knocking on your door, you got to answer. These are two great schools. These are two powerful states. And they're southern states at that. This is not the SEC looking to add a completely strange college to the south. And so what a cool deal whenever this I assume goes through and you got the hook'em horns and the boomer sooners in the SEC, a conference that truly is good, getting even better. In hour three today, I have some audio that I'm going to play. It is earlier in the week, Paul Feinbaum 
was on Dan Patrick's show. I've got Dan Patrick and Paul Feinbaum discussing this whole marriage that looks like likely will happen between those two Big 12 schools turned potential SEC schools. We've got a lot more we'll be covering come hour three today on this topic. So please stick around for that fun of the y'all show. Moving on into other sports headlines on the southern sports scene today, we will tell you that in the NFL, there's training camps. Some start today, in fact. We'll walk through some of our southern NFL teams right now and tell you about the start of the drills and also where these are taking place. In some cases, training camp is not right there at their normal place they are during the season. They're in minicamp, or I guess training camp would be the correct term. So let me tell you about teams. The Baltimore Ravens, they're in Owings Mill, Maryland, and they began their camp Tuesday. The Houston Texans, they're right there in Houston at the familiar grounds of Houston Methodist Training Center, and they don't start their camp until Friday. That's the official day that both rookies and veterans start off the Texans camp. The Jacksonville Jaguars, they began their camp. Everybody present at the practice fields at Everbank Field, Jaguars already in camp. Friday is the day. Check that. Check, check, check one, two. Omaha, Omaha. See, I'm doing an audible here on today's y'all show. It is Thursday. Thursday, not Friday. Thursday is the day that the Kansas City Chiefs will be reporting on the road. They'll be in St. Joseph, Missouri at Missouri Western State University for the start of their training camp. That ought to be really neat to see. The Miami Dolphins will be at Baptist Health Training Facility at Nova Southeastern University in Davie, and they start their training camp today. The Finns will be out there sweating it up in South Florida at Nova Southeastern University with the start of their training camp. Also in the South, the Tennessee Oilers will be right there on the familiar grounds of St. Thomas Sports Park. They begin their training camp on Thursday in Music City. Some AFC, we've just told you the AFC, some NFC teams from the South and their start dates. The Atlanta Falcons began their training camp right there at the Falcons training facility in Flowery Branch. Started that on Tuesday. The Carolina Panthers also getting together for their first training camp date, and that was Tuesday. That was at Walford College as they're in Spartanburg again after not training there in 2020 because of COVID. The Panthers and Matt Rule, this will be the first time Matt Rule goes to Walford for the Panthers training camp. The Dallas Cowboys are all the way out in Oxnard, California. I don't know why they do this, but they start their training camp at the River Ridge playing fields and Oxford, California, and they start their training camp on Thursday. The boys in Big D, now the Oxnard Cowboys. The New Orleans Saints, man, talk about a change of venue. The Saints start their training camp, and they just started it on Tuesday. They are currently in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. They're having their training camp at the Greenbrier. Pretty neat to see the Saints all the way there in West Virginia. And wrapping up the Southern Connections and training camp, the Tampa Bay Bucks are right there at their familiar spot in Tampa at one Buccaneer place. 
They have their training camp underway. It started on Tuesday. Also starting on Tuesday in Richmond, Virginia, at the Bon Secures Training Center, the Washington football team began its training for the forthcoming season under Coach Ron Rivera. And that's a look at SC, or rather NFL training camps, start dates, locations, and more. And if you're able to and you have the ability, go see some of these teams if they're training near you and see what it's like. Remember, this is something you couldn't do last year at all. You can do this year. I will tell you, though, that I was visiting with a member of the NFL over the weekend, and they told me that there's a policy. If you go to any of these training camps, and it will also likely be this way during the season, there's about a 20-foot barrier that has to be imposed at all times between any kind of player or assistant or anything and the fans. So you can go and hang out 20 feet away, but you're going to be a long way from getting a hug from one of the NFL's famous players if you try to go to one of these training camp sites and see your team. It's an NFL policy, and you better hope your camera's got a pretty good zoom on it because that might be the closest you get to that beautiful picture that you're trying to get with a Derrick Henry, for example, or perhaps you're trying to get a picture down in Tampa with Tom Brady or C-Mac and Spartanburg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better have a good zoom there because – you're not getting that close this year, at least not in training camp. That's a quick look at what's going on sports-wise across the southeast here as we start off this first hour of Talk With a Southern Accent. More sports is coming your way. Stay tuned. We're on a 44-city tour across the southeast looking at great colleges across Dixie and Wake Forest University. Winston-Salem, North Carolina is where we're dropping by next. We'll tell you all about Dave Clawson's 2021 ball club and what the Deeks have coming your way. We'll also hear from the head coach of Wake Forest. That's ahead on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. If you're worried about your borderline blood pressure, hear how others are taking charge with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. Garlic works safely and naturally to support my blood pressure. Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula has a custom blend of garlic, vitamins, and minerals, so you know it works. No garlic taste, no garlic breath. Take charge of your blood pressure with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The term natural reference is only the garlic in the product. Use as directed. The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny. The Angry Preachers. That is the subject of our showcase of college football today. It's Wake Forest, Winston-Salem, North Carolina as Wake out of the ACC's Atlantic Division. Dave Clawson has done a pretty darn good job leading the Fighting Baptist over the last decade or so. And we're going to tell you about the 2021 edition of Wake Forest Football, tell you more about Dave Clawson. In Hour 3, we'll discuss more about the university itself and also some of the famous alumni of Wake as well as the traditions that you'll find when you go to a Wake Forest football game or just hang out there on the Winston-Salem campus. It's Wake Forest University. Go Deeks! 
The 2021 edition of Wake Forest football is going to kick off on Friday, September 3rd, when the Monarchs of Old Dominion come down from Roanoke, or not, they're not Roanoke, they're in uh, uh, the Tidewater of Virginia. Roanoke's just up the road on the western side of the state. I guess they would be coming down from around Virginia Beach is where Old Dominion is located. Winston-Salem is where I know the game is. It's now Truist Field. It used to be BB&T Stadium. Truist Field is the name of Wake Forest New Stadium. And it's opening night at Truist Field when the Monarchs and the Demon Deacons get together on Friday, September 3rd. Then an HBCU comes into town for a game on September 11th when Norfolk State, which actually is where Old Dominion is located too now that I think of it. So you get the two Norfolk area schools both packing their bags and going down to Winston-Salem for a couple of games as Norfolk State comes in for a game on September 11th. The Deeks begin their ACC schedule at home against Florida State, and that's on September the 18th. They hit the road to Charlottesville. Virginia is the opponent on September 24th. The Louisville Cardinals come in for a game on October the 2nd. They're at Syracuse on October the 9th. How about a game at West Point as they visit Army on October 23rd? Their rival game with Duke, it's homecoming this year on October 30th at Truist Field. The rival game against Wake Forest takes place November 6th. These two teams really haven't played that much through the last couple of years, and they actually came up. I don't know if y'all remember this or not. In fact, this is this. is I'm glad I'm bringing this up. This game against North Carolina this year is not an ACC conference game. These two colleges got together a couple of years ago and said, we don't play each other that much. We would like to play each other. And if it means we play and not con- this doesn't count toward the conference standings, then that just is going to be the case. And I know they played in Wake Forest maybe last year, the year before. And so the return game now this year, it's Wake Forest and UNC at Chapel Hill on November 6th. But it's not a conference game. Not a conference game. How about that? Senior day at Wake is going to be November 13th. It is the NC State Wolfpack coming in for a game on that mid-November day. The Deeks hit the road for their final two regular season games. They'll be there at Memorial Stadium in Clemson to take on the Tigers on November 20th, and then they wrap up the regular season in Beantown as BC is the opponent for a November 27th game. Wake Forest looking to get even better when 2021 arrives. Dave Clawson has been the coach there at Wake Forest. He started his first year there back in 2014. So it has not been a decade. It seems almost like a decade. The former Bowling Green coach, the former Richmond Spiders coach, now coaching at Wake Forest. He has a winning record as a coach, but he needs to turn it up at Wake. He's had a couple of bowls that, of course, he's gone to. He's taken Wake to five straight bowl games. That's a positive thing. But they have lost several bowl games here in a row. Now, they did have three straight bowl victories, winning the Military Bowl back in 2016 after they had a 7-6 and six season. The Deeks won the Belk Bowl when they had an 8-5 and five season in 2017. They followed that up with a Birmingham Bowl win in 2018, 7-6. They've kind of been mediocre. Now, in 2019, they did have an 8-5 and five season but lost the Pinstripe Bowl. Then they went back to Charlotte for the Dukes-Mayo Bowl where they faced off against the Kentucky Wildcats back in the 2020 season. And Wake Forest lost that game in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl to 
No, I'm sorry. They didn't lose to Kentucky. They lost to Wisconsin, 42-28. That's right, Wisconsin destroyed the trophy there in the postgame at Charlotte. So you have Wake Forest, a 4-5 and five season, of course. That was because of COVID, why they only had the nine-game total in 2020. But Dave Clawson needs to improve his fortunes there, and to do that he needs to get more than the average-type season, winning more like 10, 11, 12 games if he's able to. Wake Forest, as a program, has claimed two ACC titles. Back in 1970, they won an ACC title. And then it was that magical 2006 season that they won. That was during the Jim Grobe era, and they went and won the ACC title, Won uh, had a chance to go to the Orange Bowl. That was just a very, very special time for the spirit of the old gold and black. The, the old gold and black of Wake Forest what a wonderful year for them. And, and I saw Wake Forest back in that era of Coach Grove and what they did. And they were a special, special unit there. But in the end, Dave Clawson comes aboard in 2014. And they are still getting the bowl games. That's a positive. But, again, they are looking for a chance to go on and compete for a conference championship. Something they've done in the last 15 years. Again, they were 11-3 and back in 2006. Six and two in the ACC, that 2006 Wake Forest team. Remember, they did go to the Orange Bowl, but they lost that game to Louisville. Louisville, then a member, I think, of Conference USA, and Louis, or perhaps the Big East. That Louisville's bounced around so much, but I think Louisville's finally found a home in the ACC. That was a 24-13 setback, and that Orange Bowl played January 2nd of 2007, technically when that game went down. But Wake Forest ended that magical year, ranked in the top 20. I think they were number 17 in the coaches' poll. And a a great season. And Wake Forest fans remember that. They enjoyed it. And frankly, Wake Forest basketball team's not exactly tearing it up these days either. So perhaps it's the Wake Forest football team that needs to take that banner and run with it for the old gold and black and more. And Wake Forest University trying to get their ship righted and the angry preachers take this program to heights that haven't been seen in 15 years. Again, this year, the Wake Forest football team begins its conference play with a winnable game, with a winnable game as they have the Florida State Seminoles coming into town for a game on September 18th. And then they got UVA, that next conference game, on the road in Charlottesville. Those are also winnable games, that game on the road at UVA. They don't have that monster game against Clemson until the end of the year. And as far as North Carolina, which is supposed to be one of the best teams in the conference, that's not even a conference game for Dave Clawson's club in 2021. So check out Wake Forest. Maybe this is the year they turn it around. I know Clawson's got some great members of his staff. Kevin Higgins is one of the assistants there that has been a longtime head coach and college football and has been on the Detroit Lions staff at one time. He's got him there. He's been there with him since he's been head coach. Wake Forest, Demon Deacon football. We'll tell you more about the traditions, the alumni, and more. Perhaps I'll even tell you how in the world Wake Forest, of all schools, ended up being the school that the guy always wore something Wake Forest related in that eastbound and down series that you might have seen on TV I think it was eastbound and down. I don't know how that happened. 
Uh, we'll tell you more about that as we get to our traditions and tell you about some of the fun stuff that Wake fans do when they attend games there now at Truist on the Winston-Salem campus. Wake Forest, Demon Deacons, go Deeks. The Y'all Show continues after this break. Stay tuned. We will have Melissa Rhodes dropping by with a southern accent on something really, really southern. We love our southern culture, and that report from Melissa is headed your way next. Don't miss out on the fun. Hey, go Deeks. My doctor told me my blood pressure is borderline. I figured I could worry about it or do something about it. So I took control with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. It works safely and naturally to help maintain healthy blood pressure with a custom blend of garlic, vitamins, and minerals. And it's odor-free. I'm taking charge with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The term natural reference is only the garlic in the product. Use as directed. Southern Accent. Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. The South season home improvement czar John Allen and Jimmy Duke get together weekly for the Tricks of the Trade show. Allen's just about seen it all. <laughs> Keyword about. On a recent house call, Allen went to a cabin in the woods that had an electronic toilet on wheels. And when everything's all done, he's got about a cup full of ashes that he just throws out the back door. Well, and it's you grow some tomatoes out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just curious if somebody else out there has any experience with these electric incinerating toilets. Yeah. I could think of a multiple bunch of jokes to go along with this. I just won't go there. It's just something about that intrigues me, and I yeah. don't know why. That's roughing it for real right there. Now. You could really be on the hot seat with that one. Southern fun and more at y'all.com. All right, Melissa, thank you for that. And that will wrap up this first hour of our conversation about everything Southern. And I'm going to have to go to break thinking about that one. A toilet on wheels that you incinerate your, your stuff. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I'm afraid I would kind of uh, mess that up myself. I would uh, mess my britches, perhaps. Uh, but I guess I wouldn't if I were already sitting on that thing. Okay, enough of that. More y'all is coming up. Don't miss out on the fun. Woo, gotta go to the break. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We get together every day. 
three hours a day, and we discuss all things Dixie. I'm John Rawl. Thank you for taking a little bit of a break from your day and tuning in this show, The Y'all Show, Talk with a Southern Accent. Coming up in this second hour of Talk with a Southern Accent, we will have more news coming in from across the Southeast that you definitely don't want to miss out on. We've got news coming in about the governor of Maryland that we'll share with you. Also, army worms. What in the world are army worms? I'll tell you. Plus, if you're an Alabama alumnus, you might have heard of Egan's. I got some sad news about this Tuscaloosa dive bar. Not exactly what we want to be discussing here on Talk with a Southern Accent. But hey, we covered all. Even the dive bars of Dixie get coverage on y'all talk with a Southern Accent. As well as the news of the hour here in the second hour, we will be discussing the SEC and ACC media days. We've got audio coming up from Dabo Sweeney, coach of the Clemson Tigers. He's led Clemson to two national championships in just about 12, 13 years of coaching. And we will have audio that he just said the other day while he was in the Queen City of Charlotte at ACC media days. And we'll have that coming up. Plus, Clark Lee is the new coach of Vanderbilt, the Vandy alum at the mic recently at SEC Media Days. We're going to hear him talk about his football team and more. So we've got two coaches, ACC and SEC, together here in this second hour of the Y'all Show and our continuing coverage of Media Days going on across the South. We've got SEC and ACC in the books. We've already done Big 12 Media Days a couple of weeks back now. Back, remember when the Big 12 had Texas and Oklahoma? And they still do, at least for now. But we still have a couple conferences that will not be having their media days until next week sometime. So we'll mix it all in. We're going to cover it all. We even recently told you about Deion Sanders and the SWAC media day where he got mad that they weren't calling him Coach Sanders. They were calling him Deion, and he stormed off. Deion having a little hissy fit there at the SWAC media day. I think that was in Birmingham. I don't think Clark Lee and Dabo Sweeney stormed off when they were taking questions. In fact, somebody might have even referred to both of these guys by their first name. <laughs> we'll have all that coming up. Plus, later this hour, some Southern business news to pass along. And before the hour is in the books, speaking of books, we'll have our Southern book report coming up in the second hour of Talk with a Southern Accent. If you would like to get involved with this all-Southern show, it's pretty easy to do. All you got to do is hit us up at 803-816-1170. That is a number you can call. It is a number available 24-7. You can text it. You can call it, 803-816-1170. I just had somebody call me earlier wanting to tell me a little tip, and I did my best. Frankly, it wasn't exactly a tip that we could use here on this show, but it, it actually involved one of our affiliates, so I gave the caller, who I appreciate them reaching out to us, gave them a better person to talk to. Hopefully they were able to connect and share their news tip. But, yeah, go ahead and we'll we'll filter and get stuff passed along to the powers that be if it's not for us here. A little customer service, that's what we try to excel in because we're Southern folks, and we're, we're good Southern folks here at the Y'all Show, and we love this part of the world. In fact, I got to quickly <laughs> – share a story about something that happened to me on Tuesday. If you have been around trucks 
and cars and even tractors and things like that, there's sometimes you got to go to the alternator shop. And I had to do that on Tuesday. And I went to a place called Shirley's. And I go there, and I get told that it's actually named after the guy's wife. So how sweet. You name an alternator shop after your wife. That's, that's kind of a neat story, isn't it? Well, here's the, the, the funny thing about it. The guy ended up divorcing his wife, but he's still got her name on the business. In fact, I think he actually rents part of the property or it's next to where she lives currently. So she's looking down on her ex-husband every day he goes to work at a shop that's got her name on the building. <laughs> Isn't that Southern? Isn't that funny? And, and maybe Shirley's is a good place for you to take your alternator if you, if you need it. A uh, little alternator fixing up in some time. But uh, how about that? Naming a business after your wife, and then you end up splitting up, and you still keep the name of it. Hmm. I'll have to try that. I haven't done that in all the businesses I've created. I'm not sure that wives' names of mine would be good names for businesses, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, y'all's the name of this show, and I think this is a pretty good business. I wonder if there's somebody out there named Y'all. Hmm. Have to do some research. Let's go into the headlines of the South here. Here's a feel-good story coming from the Commonwealth of Maryland. I think Maryland's a Commonwealth. The governor there is Larry Hogan, and he has just honored deaf and blind swimmer Becca Myers for her courage in championing the disabled after this three-time gold medalist ended up having to withdraw from the Paralympics in Tokyo this week. And she withdrew from the Paralympics when they were, she was told her mother could not travel to the Games as her personal care assistant. And Becca Myers, a deaf and blind swimmer, backed out of the Olympics, the Paralympics also taking place in Tokyo. Governor Hogan presented a citation to Mrs. Myers during a news conference commemorating the 31st anniversary of the American with Disabilities Act. The certificate honored her bravery for highlighting the issue of inequality and access for people with disabilities. The governor of Maryland also signed an executive order declaring that Maryland will annually celebrate July as Disability Culture and Achievements Month. He went on to say, Becca deserved to be able to compete, and while we're all so disappointed for her, I got the chance to tell her just a moment before this started that I am unbelievably proud for her having the courage to speak up and to speak out about this injustice. The 26-year-old Myers said the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee had approved her mother to act as her assistant at all international meets since 2017, but the committee said her request to bring her mom this time was denied due to restrictions put in place by the Japanese government due to COVID-19. Myers said she made the decision to withdraw to stand up for future Paralympic athletes, went on to say that she didn't want them to have to experience what she's been through. Becca Myers, Paralympic and a Maryland native. Back in 2016 at the 2016 Rio Paralympic Games, Myers said she experienced emotional and physical trauma from not being able to navigate on her own throughout the Olympic Village. Always want to keep our disabled or handicapable, I believe is the term, and the Paralympics give a lot of people who have to go through some challenges in life, the disabled and more, the deaf and blind. And in this case, Maryland native Becca Myers has been a very successful Paralympic athlete. 
winning a gold medal three times, but she still had to go through some of this unfortunate stuff. And the latest is her mother not being able to travel with her to Tokyo, and she has now backed out of the Paralympics going on right now. Egan's. Y'all ever been to Egan's? I think I have. (laughs) I will confess here that in my younger days, I have been out on the strip of Tuscaloosa, Alabama in the late night hours, the early morning hours. I've been to the Bama Beach Club. I believe there's a... I I better not try to outdo because Tuscaloosa, like just about every other town, especially college towns, has bars come and go. But Egan's Bar has been a landmark in Tuscaloosa for 42 years, located in the heart of the Strip in T-Town. It's now going to close its doors for a new concept. Mike McWhorter bought Egan's from an original owner named Bob Weatherly back in 2018. He sold the business to Chris Coleman, who currently works at the Red Shed Bar around the corner on Red Drew Avenue. And they're going to change... This, the new bar will be called Unique. The current plan is for a soft opening on August 9th through 11th and the grand opening August 12th through 14th. The bar will hold a last call at Egan's event this weekend on Saturday. It's going to be live music, discounted merchandise, and a big blowout is expected. McWhorter said his reason for selling the business now is because he wants to move closer to his 30-year-old son, and young granddaughter who live in Fort Worth. So they're departing Tuscaloosa and selling this business. And again, this longtime establishment in Tuscaloosa, Egan's, is going to be no more. And it will be a completely look, different look and feel right there on the strip in Tuscaloosa. Love our college towns in the south, and Tuscaloosa is one of them, one of the great ones. Have you heard of army worms? Army worms are invading yards in North Mississippi. Look out. They're invading homes and more, and it's not making people happy in DeSoto County, just south of Memphis. One tr- company there is treating several lawns for army worms, and they're getting calls galore. Let me tell you, if you don't know what an army worm is, it's a larval it's a species in the order Lepidoptera and is in the larval life stage of a fall armyworm moth the term armyworm can refer to a whole bunch of species but their large scale invasive behavior of the species larval stage I'm sorry I did not get my biology degree before coming on here but I will tell you that in the south, the fall armyworm does most damage in the late summer in the south and then in the early fall in the north. So right now is the time for armyworms to be doing their most damage. Adult armyworm moths are about an inch and a half in size, wingtip to wingtip, They have a brown or gray forewing and a white hindwing. Now that I'm telling you all this, you're probably sitting there thinking, I saw one of those in the house the other day. I saw one of those in my yard the other day. Army worms. 
and they're now in the south and spreading and spreading and spreading and causing problems and causing insect people to go bananas and and pest control companies to have another reason to come by and spray your house, I guess. But right now they're causing destruction, especially in North Mississippi, but likely throughout the South. And so just be careful as they're invading yards more than homes right now, but they are, they can be quite destructive this time of year. So just note to all y'all to be on the lookout for what's called army worms. And lastly here in our headlines across the South today, a two-headed baby sea turtle has been found on a beach at Edisto Beach State Park in South Carolina. Workers and volunteers at the park recently came across this two-headed baby sea turtle as there were workers out conducting a normal inventory of sea turtle nests when they noticed three loggerhead hatchlings and one had these two heads. According to experts, it's the result of a genetic mutation other two-headed hatchlings have been found at state parks in the past, but it's in the first. This is the first one recorded at Edisto Beach State Park. Edisto Beach is between Charleston and Hilton Head, about halfway right between those two cities on the South Carolina coast. After taking photos to mark the occasion, the hatchling and the other two sea turtles were safely released out in the ocean. So I guess you can be a two-headed sea turtle and survive out in the wild. We. Hope the best for this two-headed, I won't say monster, but a cute little sea turtle. And there's a lot of people in South Carolina, Georgia, coastal Georgia, that do a great job of monitoring sea turtles and keeping them alive and protecting their habitat. And here is an example of volunteers and researchers alike going out, checking on these sea turtles and finding a two-headed baby sea turtle in Edisto Beach, South Carolina. What a what a sweet story. And something you might want to be on the lookout for when you're there along the Atlantic coast hanging out at the beach. I don't know if they have sea turtles on the Gulf Coast or not. Frankly, don't hear too many stories about that, but maybe they do. When the Y'all Show comes back, we're going to take a quick break and return with audio from Dabo Sweeney of Clemson and some info coming from the new head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores. That's Clark Lee. That's coming up next on Talk with a Southern Accent. My doctor told me my blood pressure is borderline. I figured I could worry about it or do something about it. So I took control with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. It works safely and naturally to help maintain healthy blood pressure with a custom blend of garlic, vitamins, and minerals. And it's odor-free. I'm taking charge with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The term natural reference is only the garlic in the product. Use as directed. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
We're back on Talk with a Southern Accent. I am John Rawl. Great to be with you here as we're discussing all things Southern, including Southern sports and the Atlantic Coast Conference. Just got together at the Charlotte Hotel that they normally gather in for their media days. Dabo Sweeney was at the mic for that event. And Dabo Sweeney, the 51-year-old coach, the Birmingham native, who started his journey as Clemson's head football coach. It was just after Tommy Bowden got sacked in the middle of the night. I actually was sharing this story in hour one of today's y'all show. Tommy Bowden fired after Clemson lost a game at Wake Forest. And a guy named Dabo Sweeney was appointed interim head coach back in 2008 and ended up being chosen as Clemson's head coach starting in the 2009 season. So he's getting ready to enter his 12th season coaching the Clemson Tigers. He has, in his time as a coach, amassed a winning record of 143 wins to 33 losses. He has coached Clemson to two national championships, winning in 2016 and in 2018. He's also had Clemson in national championship games that they lost heartbreakers to Alabama especially. But then they turned around in that last championship game and just destroyed Alabama in the national championship game. Nobody's beat the crap out of Alabama like Clemson did in that game. They are a very, very good football program. They are currently in the midst of a impressive ACC title run. They, under his tenure, have won seven ACC titles, 2011, Then they turned around and started winning consecutive titles in 2015. They have been ACC champions in 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Is that six straight years? Six straight conference titles Clemson has in the ACC. Dabo Sweeney is a three-time Paul Bear Bryant award-winning coach. He has done amazing after only being essentially a wide receiver coach for Clemson for much of his career as an assistant coach. He was a wide receiver coach at Alabama up until 2000, and then he went on over to Clemson to help out Tommy Bowden. Then he ends up helping sack Tommy Bowden, I guess. I guess he had something to do with that. But the coach that makes over $8 million a year probably deserves a lot more than that. Because he's got two national championships he's brought to Clemson. Little old Clemson, the Cal College in upstate South Carolina. Dabo Sweeney has done an unbelievable job, and he's looking to do an unbelievable job again this football season. And Dabo starts out with a question about Justin Foster, who is returning. He's a graduate of Clemson, a Shelby, North Carolina native, and this very talented defensive end back with Clemson. And Coach Sweeney talks about it. He's doing great, and you know, which is why he came back. Um, and I tried to talk him out of it in January, just say, let's just, you know, why don't we just, let's just give it some time here. And, and, uh, but he was ready to get out. He had a job. He was, you know, ready to kind of go. And, uh, but in May, he called me and said, Coach, is there a chance I could still come back? I feel great. He'd been training, he'd been running, and, you know, things had turned around for him, and, and I, uh, absolutely, you know. Uh, so he's just a he's just a great, great young man. Uh, he's one of the most respected guys on our team. Incredibly smart. He's a graduate. 
He's 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 uh, he is a tough, tough, hard nosed football player, um, and so he just brings invaluable depth and experience and and leadership to that position. So with him back, we have five guys, five starters at defensive end, um, and uh, just really you know thankful, and I'm happy for him, you know, to be able to. You know, end his career, and and you know he's a guy that'll have a chance to play at the next level. Uh, so to be able to see him just kind of get back to a good place because it was a really hard year for him, and uh, so I'm thankful and grateful that that he is where he is now. Did you attend Jack Swarbrick's playoff presentation last night? And if so, did it allay or perhaps even affirm some of the concerns you you voiced to your local media uh, the other day? Well, yeah, I was there, and, and man, he did a phenomenal job. And I will say this, the four people that, um, uh, I can't remember who all it was, but the four people who I guess authored it and put the presentation together and spent two years, you know, just trying to study and come up with something and research, take the charge that had been given to them, I guess, by the, the presidents or the committee or whatever, um, they did a they did a phenomenal job, but uh, no, it doesn't change my my stance at all. Uh, and again, my opinion it, it doesn't mean anything because uh, that train's left the station. You know, I, I think I think sitting around and talking about uh, what this coach thinks or that coach is a waste of time at this point. Um, I think expansion is of the playoff is inevitable. I think the conversation needs to be how do we get it right for the player end of the day how do we save the bowls uh i think we're past the point of you know not that that's a a a foregone conclusion that it's 12 teams or whatever i think there's a long way to go and a lot of conversation to be had on what what's going to happen but i think i think expansion is going to be inevitable and um you know money's driving that and uh i assume that's what the fans want Uh, but i think most importantly uh what do the players want and, you know, to ask these guys to have to show up earlier, to have no open dates, to have no break between the championship game and another game, to play more games, uh, I don't think that, that may be what's best for the money, maybe what's best for the fans. I don't think that's what's best for the player. And, uh, you know, that's my opinion. Nothing, nothing, nothing changes. So I think if we're going to expand, I think you should talk about the season as well. You know, maybe you go to 11 games instead of asking these guys to play more. And having been there to, to say, um, you know, you, you, I, I can just visualize being in Tampa after beating Alabama with one second on the clock and then being out there at Levi Stadium and you've, you've, you've been in a championship game, you've been in a playoff game, you've been in a national championship game, and now you sit there and you look at these guys and say, all right, guys, we got one more, you know, and you're just spent. I mean, you're, you're exhausted. What it takes at that level, and when people say, well, it's just one more game, to me that is a, a, a total lack of appreciation for what it takes to win a game, to prepare for a game, to play in a game of that magnitude. Uh, because when you get to that level, you're talking about the best of the best, the elite of the elite, and these guys all have, at that level, they have NFL aspirations, and a lot of them are going to play in the NFL. So, you know, you got combines, you got a lot going on. And, um, you know, so I think there's a lot of, lot of discussion. It was a fantastic presentation. Uh, he did an awesome job. But, again, and we're gonna, we'll play whatever, whatever system, whatever rules we got. I, wasn't, I was not for a four-team playoff. 
So it's not like anything has changed for me. Um, I just want the players to be considered in that. And uh, we should not ask more of the player, in my opinion. Pretty strong words from the head coach of the Clemson Tigers, Dabo Sweetie, when he was at the mic at ACC Media Days. Switching over now to the Southeastern Conference, Clark Lee, he made his first visit as a coach in the Southeastern Conference. Clark Lee was hired to be the Vanderbilt Commodores' new football coach. Here's a guy who started his collegiate career as a baseball player, starting off with Birmingham Southern in the NAIA ranks before transferring back to his home area of Middle Tennessee and played for the Belmont Rebel Bruins for one year of college baseball. Then he decided to go over to Vanderbilt, just a few blocks away, and suit up for the Vanderbilt football team. I think Bobby Johnson was coaching Vandy at that time. He played fullback for two years at Vandy, and I think he did a pretty good job. In fact, he did a good enough job that he decided he wanted to go into the coaching ranks. He started out at UCLA as a graduate assistant back in 2006. He found his way at South Dakota State along the way. Bowling Green, Syracuse, spent a year at Wake Forest. Then a career change for him. He went to Notre Dame as a defensive assistant, got to be the Irish's defensive coordinator starting the 2018 season. And last year what Notre Dame did was fantastic, and he did such a good job. He got noticed back at the alma mater, and when there was an opening, Clark Lee, the Nashville native, hired to be Vanderbilt's head football coach and he enters this season coaching Vanderbilt, the 29th head football coach in Vanderbilt history. He was at the mic looking dapper in his nice white sport coat or suit. I couldn't tell if it was a suit or not, but looking oh so good. Clark Lee, head coach of the Doors. Let's go in and hear his thoughts about being the head coach of his alma mater, the Vanderbilt University Commodores. We haven't paid a lot of attention to what we were because everything changes when you change systems. So um, it's more about uh, the focus on what we will be. And, um, you know, we need to design design around matchups. This is about how we uh, use uh, formations, motions, tempo to create pressure on the defense to get the matchups that are favorable to us. Um, You know, every play needs to be a design and we need to have a reason for why we're doing what we're doing. Um, And to be honest with you, uh, like as a, a defensive coordinator, life becomes pretty miserable in, in modern day offense. But now I get to uh, step back and be the team coach, which means I can involve myself on that side too. And um, yeah, I got to say, w- one of the things that was most impressive um, that Greg mentioned when, when we met last year uh, before um, the game in Dallas, you know, preparing for that team uh, was, was challenging, not just because the players, but the design was also. Uh, really well executed and it, it just it, it it reminded me of the impact a defensive coach can have on offensive structure because ultimately we know what gives us problems and um, designing around that can unlock performance within an offense but embedded in your question is is situational work too you know um, uh, finishing drives with seven points so on and so forth all of which are part of the the philosophy that we're bringing and the mindset that we're developing within the program. You know, I think every program is unique. And, you know, this isn't the first one that is facing a rebuild or a restructuring. You know, um, that, that's not unique to us. But what is unique to us is um, the history that our players have experienced within the program. I mean, the challenge of um, 
holding people to different standards and expectations in the same spaces that they occupied before is real. And so everything that they confront needs to be different. Um, and we can't be afraid to be drastically different. And so um, you can't know, I don't know that you can, you can devise a blueprint. I think my knowledge of what, what Vanderbilt is, what Vanderbilt could be, certainly helped in, um, in setting a course for the change that needed to happen. But I didn't really know what the need was until I stepped in front of my team for the first time. And um, as I've gotten to know the need, I've been able to do uh, what I feel like is a better job of seeing the need and filling the need. And uh, again, being willing to adapt and adjust along the way. And um, it's a relentless job. It's a job that uh, takes constant time and attention. But it's also one of the most rewarding experiences to this point in my life where every day I get up and my feet at the floor and good day, bad day, whatever, you know, I get to be the head coach at what I feel like is the best university in the best city in the country. I have a chance to impact the lives of people that will be the future leaders in our communities. I mean, the impact that we have at Vanderbilt football and forming leadership for our country is real. And not everyone can look at their job that way. But that's the responsibility that me and my staff have at Vanderbilt. And so the significance of what we do in restructuring the internal perception and the mindset within this program will have a ripple effect to uh, societies and communities uh, 10, 20 years down the road that, uh, that will be uh, significant. So you know, those are the ways we view our experience and how we view our job. And uh, obviously we take a lot of energy and pride in doing it at a high level. And that was the coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores, Vandy alum Clark Lee. By the way, there at Media Days, he had his old helmet when he was a fullback for Vanderbilt some 17 years ago. Pretty neat to see that. Clark Lee, best of luck to you and the Vanderbilt Commodores in 2021. More of the Y'all Show is coming up. we got a business report headed your way. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em, remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That is the way to text us if you've got something you want to pass along or if you want to drop us an email. We are certainly checking that email inbox by the second. And that is mail, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. Don't forget, our website is y'all.com. It is the South's homepage. And here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent, we're going to start off this segment with a little business news coming in from across the southeast. Home prices in the country right now 
have surged 17% in reports coming in as these 17% figures for the month of May. That is the fastest price surge in 17 years. Home prices registering this fastest growth as a surge in demand for housing outstripped the supply of houses. You got a crazy time right now. You got a very small amount of houses available to purchase. You got a small amount of cars and trucks available for purchase. I don't know what's in great quantity right now. I really don't. Everything seems to be shortened. Uh, People aren't working. Uh, Government giving money away. It's it's crazy times, y'all. But again, the price for homes in this country rose faster in the month of May than they have in 17 years. The hottest markets in the country, Phoenix, where prices have surged to 26%. Also, San Diego and Seattle were pretty hot markets. I'm trying to find a list of any southern cities that have been surging. Everybody's surging. It's just a matter of, my goodness, some of these cities are off the chart surging. That increase in May of 17% was the biggest since August of 2004. Many Americans tired of being cooped up at home during the pandemic have traded in apartments and small homes in a city for bigger houses in the suburbs. The reserves, easy money policies, have also kept mortgage rates near historic lows, and that has helped lead to the demand for housing. And there again is why we have home prices just going way up right now across the country. Also going up, shipping. Shipping continues at a blistering pace, and a lot of these shipping companies, if they are in business, they're making bang UPS earned $2.7 billion in quarter number two after another strong quarter with shipments to homes continuing at a blistering pace. Revenue at home was a little weaker than some had predicted, but still the shipping companies of the world are doing rather well if you own stock or more. Domestic revenue still grew uh, grew from $10.2 to $14.40 billion. $14.4 billion in the second quarter. For the three months that ended on June 30, UPS earned $2.68 billion or 3.5 cents per share. The Atlanta-based company back in 2020 earned $1.77 billion. So their share price has gone up a whole dollar from 203 to 306 in just one year. And the company earned, they went from $1.77 billion, $1.7 roughly, we'll just leave it at that, to $2.68. Because they're delivering things like dog food and Amazon and all of these other things UPS is doing. And to their credit, it's a free country. It's a free market. And this Atlanta-based company is doing quite well. And so is FedEx and all the other ones. Amazon Prime, I guess, is doing quite well shipping companies benefiting in today's society what about airlines we've got some news coming in from that industry airlines are now citing concerns about a fuel shortage at some airports how would you like to be ready to fly somewhere and your plane does not have the fuel needed to fly not a good sign but sure enough there are shortages 
According to Delta Airlines, Reno, Nevada is the most affected location. Delta said pipelines have been devoting more space to gasoline and diesel and less to jet fuel during the pandemic. So that is perhaps the reason in Reno, Nevada, it's a tough deal to get jet fuel there. The jet fuel supply is being taxed by a strong recovery in travel, which means more planes in the U.S. air, in the airways, the air travel reaching about 80% of its pre-pandemic levels with about 2 million people a day flying in the country. That, luckily, is double the number that we had back in March. But we are seeing fuel shortages. Southwest said the fuel situation hasn't affected its flights, but it has added more fuel on some planes to limit the amount needed at airports with shortages. Don't know if we have any southern-based airports that are running low on jet fuel, but something to consider if you're planning a long flight might be a question you want to ask before you board the plane. Okay, I'll trade in my freedom of wearing a mask or not wearing a mask if you, as an airline, have enough jet fuel on this here plane to get me to Kalamazoo. A study is out. Only half of American households donate to charity for the first time in nearly two decades. This number has reached this low. Only half of American households have donated to charity what's going on the published survey is done every other year by indiana university's lily family school of philanthropy philanthropy rather and it comes from a survey that's been tracking the giving patterns of more than nine thousand households since the year 2000 and back then 66 percent of american households donated to a charitable organization that number dropped from 66 20 years ago to 49.6 percent and that was back in 2018, the last year that comprehensive figures were gathered from these households. Now, that's got me to think, what states are the most charitable states out there? And I have pulled up an article from usnews.com about states that donate the most to charity. Is your state on this list? I can tell you the top states. And those top states are, number one, Utah. It is the most charitable state in the country, according to WalletHub. Number two is Minnesota. The border state of Maryland comes in at number three as a charitable state in the country. Oregon is four. Ohio, five. Pennsylvania is the sixth most charitable state in the country. Virginia is seven. North Dakota is eight. Maine, nine. And ten is Colorado. There is not one deep south state in this list of the most charitable states in the country, according to WalletHub. What is going on? As the great coach of the Packers would have said, what the heck is going on out there? That would be Mr. Lombardi, if you've ever seen that clip. And those are the most charitable states. I have a list of the three states at the bottom of charitable giving. These three states are the biggest non-givers to charity in the country two of them are not southern but one is i hate to tell you this southern state that i'm about to announce you're the on that list of the three stooges the states that give the least arizona is one of those states its neighbor to the east new mexico is on this list of not giving not splurging on their brethren and fellow citizens and giving to charity And the only deep south state 
that's at the bottom of the rankings of the most charitable states is Louisiana. What is going on in the Pelican State that they don't want to give up their money for charity? Again, WalletHub is the one that helped come up with these numbers, not me. I'm just the bearer of news here. But that, again, is information being passed along today of states and their charitable giving. And we've got some work to do across the southeast if we want to step up our game and give some of those states that we just announced a little competition in terms of giving. We appreciate you, though, giving your time and listening to Talk With a Southern Accent. When we come back, we're going to put on our book report for the South. It is the Southern Book Report. we got to look at the best-selling books on the New York Times list, as well as other good reads that you need to be considering. Perhaps you want to get out to the lake this weekend. Hey, we got a good book or two for you to take along with you. That's coming up next on The Y'all Show. If you're worried about your borderline blood pressure, hear how others are taking charge with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. Garlic works safely and naturally to support my blood pressure. Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula has a custom blend of garlic, vitamins, and minerals, so you know it works. No garlic taste, no garlic breath. Take charge of your blood pressure with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The term natural reference is only the garlic in the product. Use as directed. I can still shut down the party. I can hang with anybody. I can drink whiskey and red wine, champagne all night. Little scotch on the rocks, and I'm fine, I'm fine. But when I taste tequila, baby, I still see ya. Cutting up the Florida sorority t shirt. Same one you wore when we were sky high in Colorado. Lips pressed against the bottle. Swimming on a Bible, baby, I'd never leave you. I remember how bad I need you when I taste the key. Final segment here of this second hour of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with John Raw. Gonna get our book, book time in now as we wrap up this hour. According to the New York Times, we've got a list of some of their best-selling books available and brand new on the combined print and ebook fiction category list this week. The new book out by Daniel Silva, the 21st book in the Gabriel Allen series, A Private Intelligence Service Plans an Act of Violence that Will Aid Russia and Divide America. The book out by Daniel Silva is The Cellist. And it's number one on the New York Times bestsellers ebook fiction category right now. And this book, by being number one, knocked off Laura Dave. She now checks in at number two. Her book's been out on the bestseller looks list for 11 weeks. Her book is The Last Thing He Told Me. Hannah Hall discovers truths about her missing husband and bonds with his daughter from a previous relationship. The Last Thing He Told Me from Laura Dave. Also new this week, number one, or rather number three on the bestsellers fiction category, Debbie McCumber's It's Better This Way. This is a book about Julia Jones who begins a new life after discovering her husband's infidelity almost six years ago. Uh Uh-oh, angry woman there, Julia Jones. Debbie McCumber has penned this book that, again, checks in at number three on New York Times 
ebook fiction print combined category it's better this way this book's been out about two months now emily henry people we meet on vacation a perfect book for this time of year and this book's only been out on the bestseller list for two weeks now it is by miranda crowley heller the paper palace after an extramarital dalliance Elle must choose between her husband and her childhood love. Woo! And the image of this looks like it's something from the marshlands of the South, so I bet it has a Southern connection. The Paper Palace author Miranda Cowley Heller has penned this one. Check it out if you get a chance. Moving over to the combined print and ebook nonfiction category, we've got a brand new book from The Great One. The Great One that you might have heard me before talk about that he doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to the South. <laughs> it's Mark Levin, the Fox News weekend host, nationally syndicated radio talk show host, has his book at number one on the nonfiction category. It is American Marxism, as Mark Levin gives his take on the Green New Deal, critical race theory, and social activism. It is number one. Michael Wolf, y'all are familiar with that guy's name. He's got a book that is number two on the nonfiction category. It's brand new this week. It is called Landslide. This author of Fire and Fury and Siege portrays events during the final days of Trump's presidency. I think Michael Wolf worked for the New York Times or still works for them. And his book is at number two, Landslide. It is out this week. At number three on the New York Times nonfiction list, is Michael C. Bender's Frankly, We Did Win This Election. A senior White House reporter for the Wall Street Journal looks at Trump's 2020 campaign and final year in office. The inside story of how Trump lost, Michael C. Bender has this book out, Frankly, We Did Win This Election. Another Fox News talking head, Jesse Waters, his book, How I Saved the World, is out. It's number four on the combined print and ebook nonfiction category jesse waters book how i save the world his pretty hair also he can write his pretty books jesse waters at number four and lastly on the combined print and ebook nonfiction list it comes to us from basil vanderkolk the body keeps the score it's been out on the bestseller list for almost a year and it is number five this week on the nyt bestsellers list and that is a quick look at what's going on bookwise across the southeast when we come back on y'all we will have a whole nother hour of a conversation about the south and you don't want to miss it and we'll get it going with a little sports news including a conversation paul feinbaum had with dan patrick this week that's up next on talk with a southern accent my doctor told me my blood pressure is borderline i figured i could worry about it or do something about it so I took control with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. It works safely and naturally to help maintain healthy blood pressure with a custom blend of garlic, vitamins, and minerals. And it's odor-free. I'm taking charge with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The term natural reference is only the garlic in the product. Use as directed. Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit stoptextsstoprex.org. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
appreciate y'all checking in with us. We're talking about the South here on this Wednesday edition, and it is fantastic to have you back here for this final hour of our conversation about what's going on across the 16 southern states. I'm General John Rawl, CSA, Certified Southern American, and always a pleasure for you to have your time devoted to listening to what's going on in the old southern neighborhood coming up in this final hour of our wednesday y'all show we've got a southern sports blast that is queued up and coming at you in a second included in that southern sports blast is a conversation had this week between paul feinbaum and dan patrick these two media goliaths had a conversation on national tv and radio about oklahoma and texas joining the southeastern conference and i thought it was a good enough conversation that we needed to let all y'all hear it so we'll play a portion of that here in our Southern Sports Update coming up in this segment. Also this hour, it's all about Wake Forest. The Demon Deacons are today's spotlight school as we're on a 44-city tour across the southeast. Winston-Salem, North Carolina, it is the home of Wake Forest University. We'll tell you about Wake as a college, the history, the relocation back in the 1950s from Wake Forest, North Carolina. That is a suburb of Raleigh, and they moved the campus back in the 50s to Winston-Salem. Why did they do such a thing? And there's still a Wake Forest right outside of Raleigh. Got to be confusing, I know, yes. We'll tell you all about that, plus we'll tell you about some of the famous alumni from Arnold Palmer to some of the current PGA greats or Wake Forest alums. And Wake Forest has produced a good basketball player and Chris Paul. They've had other people who've gone on and done great things in the arts and entertainment and politics and business and more. And we'll tell you about some of the famous Wake Forest people, the alumni of Wake, in our Wake Forest Spotlight in the next segment. Plus, we'll look at some of the traditions of WFU. Go Deeks! We'll have plenty of Wake Forest information coming up in the next segment. More look, uh, more additional headlines coming your way this hour, and we'll wrap it up to as we get through to the bottom of the show. So. Hang on for all that. Again, if you want to connect to us, our email address is mail, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. And our website is y'all.com. Go there and check out the podcast edition of this show. It's right there, Y'all Show, big red and white box that says Y'all Show. Click on that. You can listen to our show. You can watch a bunch of our interviews that we've done, more interviews coming that you can watch. Or if you'd rather not see us, that's fine. You can listen to us. In fact, we're available in podcast form in a whole bunch of different ways. We're now on Spotify. We're on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, and a couple of more that I know are out there that we're just growing and growing and growing. Appreciate y'all listening and being part of the conversation about the Southeast. Let's start this hour talking sports. And talking sports this hour, we start off with the big news going on in the ACC, SEC, Big 12, Pac-12. It really doesn't matter what conference you're in. People are on pins and needles now because we're back to a point that we were around this time eight, nine years ago when the dominoes started falling and conference realignment began. And I know a big part of that happened back at that time because of the creation of the Longhorn Network. And financially, I'm sure that's been a a good thing, but it was the Longhorn Network that ultimately drove off Texas A&M to the SEC and helped split up 
conferences. It's likely part of the reason Colorado took off for the Big 12. It's why Nebraska took off for the Big 10. And we just had a huge mess on our hands 9, 10, 11 years back. We're back at that point now. This week it has already been announced that Texas and Oklahoma both say they don't want to be in the Big 12. They both followed that up on Tuesday by essentially pinning a letter, a love letter, if you will, to Greg Sankey of the Southeastern Conference and essentially kind of did like Martin Luther did back in the Reformation movement, pinned a note on the door and said, hey, SEC, we want to be part of your club. Would you please let us in? And now SEC presidents and also chancellors of this conference are going to be getting together this week, and I don't know if they're going to vote on it, but they're going to seriously consider OU and UT, the one in Austin, the 40 acres, joining the Southeastern Conference. And they intend to maybe bring them on before 2025. But as of now, Texas and OU have stated they intend to stay in the Big 12 through June 30th of 2025. So the 2025 football season would be the first season as of now that those two schools would be full members starting July 1st of 2025, full members of the Southeastern Conference. And they might get out of it earlier if they pay big penalties. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with scheduling, why they're maybe not so ready to jump headfirst into the SEC before 2025. But it, it should be a very interesting couple of years and a very contentious few years, especially for Texas and OU when they go play in places like Stillwater. They're they're gonna hate playing in Stillwater. They're gonna Oklahoma State knows they're gonna get left behind. Baylor is getting left behind, although it's not maybe quite as painful for them as it would be for Oklahoma State, which has tried very hard to be a competitive program and be right there alongside OU. Although they always choke, it seems like they never quite are good enough to be right there amongst their sooner state brethren. Some of these schools, Texas Tech, they, they feel jilted. And ultimately, I think we all see the writing on the wall. The Big 12's days could be numbered and likely are numbered. That was part of the reason this week Dan Patrick welcomed in the SEC Network's Paul Feinbaum on to his show on Fox Sports Radio. And also that thing's televised all over the place, including I think it's on YouTube. We're going to go in and now hear a clip of these two media pundits Feinbaum and Patrick talking about Texas and Oklahoma and their desire to now be members of the Southeastern Conference. And we start out this clip with Paul Feinbaum kind of talking about the crazy week that it's been and how the ripple effects might affect even schools in the in the Big Ten, for goodness sake. I'm really interested to see what uh, other schools want to do. I, yeah, I would think if you're sitting there up in Ann Arbor right now and Jim Harbaugh is saying to his boss, you know, we, we, we really can't compete. In, in the Big Ten, I can't beat Ohio State. So I tell you what, why don't you get me in the SEC? <laughs> Where I know we can't compete. Not only with you know, one team, but probably a few teams there. I, yeah. I, but I wonder about this. I, I liken Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, to Roger Goodell because he's running college football. Yeah. But if you said, let's look at Sankey's endgame in, I don't know if it's a three-year, five-year period, or, or are we looking at maybe an NFL model of college football and Greg Sankey is heading up 
the top 32 to 40 college football programs, and you just use the model that the NFL has? Very possibly. And, you know, until whenever, maybe before COVID, we always looked at Mark Emmerich as the head of the the NCAA. Uh, I can assure you, Greg Sankey would take your call before he would take Mark Emmerich's call right now. And and I don't mean that as an insult to you. I mean, I've, I've heard him on the show many times, but I mean, Emmerich is, is really powerless. Uh, he's just, but he doesn't care. He just, you know, he's almost 70 years old. He just cashed a new contract in for $5 million a year, whatever it is. And so he's, he's, he's quietly going to uh, wherever former NCAA presidents go. And it's usually to be a consultant, but yeah, that is exactly right. And it, I don't, I, if, if I could just say something off the record, because I don't want anyone to quote me on this, but let's not forget who the other partner is here, Dan. It's uh, your former employee in Bristol, Connecticut. I mean, they they have a, a, just a tremendous investment in the SEC. Uh, not only do they control most of what uh, everything of uh, everything that happens outside of two thirty or three thirty on on Saturday afternoon, they have the SEC network. And now they're they're about to take over the most valuable piece of property left, and that's the three thirty CBS window, which is not supposed to go into a for a couple of years, but something tells me uh, that might be expedited. And they also control the college football playoff, which we've heard a lot of double talk recently uh, about why it may expand ne- two years from now or five years from now. Greg Sankey is also the key guy there. So all of this is going to start coming together very quickly. My former employer, your current employer, ESPN. Well, I say that because whenever you go on a program like the Dan Patrick Show, you don't know if somebody has that their finger on the on, on the nuclear button that says <laughs> you are no longer employed. <laughs> uh, pretty good conversation. Again, those two media Goliaths, Paul Feinbaum, Dan Patrick, and their discussion about Texas and Oklahoma. Now asking the AC, SEC, please let us in. Please let us in. And we could sit here for hours upon hours and speculate what happens next. Is the SEC's 16 at a 16-team conference, are they now set from now till the end of time with a 16-member conference? You'd think they would be, but is there a chance that you could have other schools currently seeing what's happening and say, hey, SEC, please let us in? We know that some people have already come out and said that there needs to be a merger between the SEC and the ACC, essentially creating a, a sort of super conference, and that would be like the... NFL light, if you will, <laughs> this super conference. If that, it's all very speculative whether any of this happens and it, if indeed Texas and Oklahoma get into the conference officially. But it's getting closer than you might expect, and it looks like all signs point to where this is going to happen. And what does Notre Dame do next? What does West Virginia do? Is the Big 12 going to implode? Does elite colleges like Kansas, do they really want to share the same conference with, let's say the Big 12 does add a couple of schools like Memphis or Cincinnati? Do the elitists at KU want to be rubbing right next to Memphis, lowly Memphis State, for goodness sakes, a real blue blood in Kansas in these upstart programs? At least Cincinnati, I think, has won at least one college basketball national championship. Memphis never has. They they have come close, go Tigers, go. 
It's going to be crazy, crazy. Usually these kind of conference realignment things happen a little bit earlier in a year, and we're not sitting here on the brink of a start of a football season talking about expansion and changes of conference members and conferences imploding and more. But we need the ratings here, and so we here at the Y'all Show are happy to tell you what's going on and putting the Southern Angle on it, of course, To some Major League Baseball news, the Nats pitcher Steven Strasburg is going to have to have season-ending neck surgery. This guy's been a three-time All-Star right-hander, and last week he felt discomfort after a 27-pitch bullpen session. Saw a specialist earlier in the week, and now the great baseball player who currently has a 1-2 record and a 4.57 ERA and five starts this season, he's now been diagnosed with neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome and we'll have to go to a doctor in Dallas Dr. Greg Pearl and we'll have a operation today according to Dave Martinez the manager of the Nationals Strasburg's down and frustrated Martinez says hopefully after this procedure is done it's the next hurdle recovering and then starting to rehab, rehab as soon as he possibly can I think his last start I actually saw that live at least on television he played a game in Atlanta and had to come out after maybe the third inning. During the middle of the third inning, he felt discomfort and and ended up coming out. And so Steven Strasburg, the heralded first pick in the draft some 10, 12 years ago, now out for the rest of the season. We wish him well as he has to undergo this surgery right in the thick of baseball season. An update on another major league pitcher, The Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer, at least according to reports, he's going to be put on an extended Major League Baseball leave, and that goes through August 6th. Bauer's been in the news. He's been accused of some impropriety off the field, and now this administrative leave for the Cy Young winner from 2020, Trevor Bauer, extended a third time, according to sources, that cover Major League Baseball. And Major League Baseball will once again, given consent by the MLB Players Association to keep Bauer on leave, this is a non-disciplinary measure that guarantees a player his salary and service time while investigations continue, and that keeps it going for an additional 10 days. This civil hearing for the temporary restraining order obtained against Bauer will take place this coming Monday and Tuesday in Los Angeles County Superior Court is expected to last two to three days. Again, Trevor Bauer coming under fire because he has a restraining order. A restraining order was executed by his ex-girlfriend, which can be obtained without input from another party. And he's been accused of sexual assault from this lady friend, if you will. And so a very ugly thing for this 2020 National League Cy Young winner and a member that year, last year, of the Cincinnati Reds who joined the Dodgers earlier this year with a record-setting three-year, $102 million contract. And now he's not even pitching for the boys in blue because of another extended administrative leave being sent down from Major League Baseball. One of the real stars now because of some things, definitely questionable things, and we'll have to let the legal proceedings play out however they do end up playing out. But Trevor Bauer will not be on the mound, on the bump for the Dodgers anytime 
the rest of this month into the month of August. NFL training camps underway, some underway already, some about to get started. A quick look at some of your favorite Southern NFL teams' training camp locations and start times. As on Tuesday, the Baltimore Ravens got going at Owings Mill, Maryland's Under Armour Performance Center. And the Ravens now fully in camp for training camp. The Denver, rather the Houston Texans, along with Deshaun Watson, he showed up there at Houston Methodist Training Center in Houston. Speaking to Trevor Bauer, how about Deshaun Watson's off-season problems off the field? The Texans, their training, they will not actually begin. I said Deshaun's ready to join them. The veterans do not report until Friday as they get together for training camp in the AFC South. Another AFC, AFC, AFC South team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they got going on Tuesday in Jacksonville with their new quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. The Jags practicing at the practice fields at Everbank Field. Urban Meyer, skipper in this team now. Ought to be a fun team to watch going forward. And the Jaguars now in camp. The Miami Dolphins, they began their tra- or they began today with training camp as they're at Baptist Health Training Facility at Nova Southeastern University in Davie, Florida. The Tennessee Titans, their camp begins on Thursday at St. Thomas Sports Park in Nashville. The Titans and all the moves they've made in the offseason, including Julio Jones. I wonder how well the Julio Jones jerseys are selling in Music City. I guess he's got to have a different number now that he's in Davidson County as a guy that used to be a Mississippi Landshark wide receiver has that number 11 jersey, Julio has to go a different route, literally, as a wide receiver. I like how I did that. In the NFC, the Atlanta Falcons, they started camp on Tuesday at Flowery Branch's Atlanta Falcons training facility. The Panthers are back at Walford College in Spartanburg. The Panthers, with their training camp, also beginning on Tuesday. The Dallas Cowboys, they start their training camp on Thursday all the way out in Oxnard, California, at River Ridge Playing Fields. Jerry Jones, once again, taking his complete football team all the way to the West Coast for the start of training camp. The New Orleans Saints, they take their show on the road. They're in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia this week as training camp began for the Saints on Tuesday at the Greenbrier. I guess they're mixing in a little golf and mountain climbing and more as the Saints from the Big Easy, which is not even at sea level there, They are way above the clouds at the Greenbrier in West Virginia this week for training camp. The Tampa Bay Bucks, your defending Super Bowl champions, they're hanging out at one Buccaneer place. Their training camp began on Tuesday in Tampa. And lastly, the Washington football team are in Richmond as they're at the Bond Secures Training Center for the start of their camp. And that training camp for the former Redskins began on Tuesday. That's a quick look at what's going on sports-wise across the southeast here as we have this third hour of our conversation about the southeast. When we come back, we're going to talk all about the Wake Forest Demon Deacons tradition, famous alumni, and what you can do there when you're on the Winston-Salem campus. All that's ahead as y'all talk with a southern accent rolls on.
My doctor told me my blood pressure is borderline. I figured I could worry about it or do something about it. So I took control with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. It works safely and naturally to help maintain healthy blood pressure with a custom blend of garlic, vitamins, and minerals. And it's odor-free. I'm taking charge with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The term natural reference is only the garlic in the product. Use as directed. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's Y'all Show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. And I'm going to be laying the sermon down here in this feature of traditions and university information and great traditions because we got the good book out to tell you all about the Wake Forest Demon Deacons of the Atlantic Coast Conference's Atlantic Division. This is a program that has captured an ACC title in just the last 15 years. This is a program with a proud history of players and fans. And here on the Y'all Show, we love to tell you about our great Southern colleges in Wake Forest University, Winston-Salem. You're our latest stop on our tour across the Southeast. Go deep! Wake Forest is a private research university located in Winston-Salem. It started way back in 1834, and it received its name from its original location, which was in the town of Wake Forest, North Carolina. That's in Wake County, just north of downtown Raleigh. The university's main campus, Renolda, has been located north in downtown Winston-Salem since the university moved there in 1956 so they moved in the 50s and that was a big move for the former wake forest manual labor institute which then became wake forest college in 1839 and finally in the 1960s it changed its name to wake forest university wake forest today has a student enrollment right below 9,000 students it is one of the smallest, if not the smallest, Power 5 school. They have right around 5,500 undergraduates, 3,300 postgraduates at this campus in Winston-Salem. 340 acres is the size of the Wake Forest campus if you ever had a chance to go there and see this lovely spot. But it's only been there 
for just over 60-something years. Again, moved there in the 1950s. And if you go there, you'll see Waite Chapel located on the Hearn Plaza or the Upper Quad if you're on the Winston-Salem campus. Now, back in 1941, Wake Forest School of Medicine moved to Winston-Salem, which at that time was North Carolina's second largest city. And after that move of the medical school, the school then looked at moving the entire school on to the city of Winston-Salem, and that's what happened in 1956. They built buildings between 1952 and 1956 on this new campus. Campus constructed in a Georgian style. The old campus back in Wake Forest, north of Raleigh, was sold to the Baptist State Convention to establish the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which I think is still right there in Wake Forest, North Carolina. But yes, you can see this lovely place, the history and all that is Wake Forest University and the intense academic reputation that it has and some of the great faculty that have been there at Wake Forest through the years. It has consistently ranked high as it has ranked, for example, in the U.S. News and World Report of America's Best Colleges, Wake Forest was ranked tied for 44th for Best Undergraduate Teaching, 24th for Best Value. So a very prestigious college in Wake Forest University. What about some of the alumni of Wake? Alumni include Maya Angelou. Did you know that she studied American Studies? And she was actually on the staff at Wake Forest for many, many years. Maya Angelou, the great writer, author, poet, a little bit of everything, and a civil rights activist as well. You also have a Wake Forest alum in John A. Allison IV, the former CEO and president of the Cato Institute in Washington, D.C. He also had a leadership position with BB&T. You've had a lot of former athletes or Wake Forest alums, including how about people who've gone on and done well, like Chris Paul, who just led Phoenix to the NBA Finals, a Wake Forest alum and a guy who grew up there in the Winston-Salem area. A lot of people in journalism have been Wake Forest alum. Y'all might remember the name Melissa Harris-Perry. She's been on TV on MSNBC before. She is a Wake Forest alum, a political scientist and journalist. You also have W.J. Cash, an author and journalist, Wake Forest alum, alum alumnus, how about TV producer writer Carol Barbie, the co-creator of the Geico Cavemen, is a Wake Forest alum. Joe Lawson, I miss those cavemen. Need to get them back sometime. Also, a famous Wake Forest alum is a couple of governors. You have how about Charlie Crist of Florida? Did you realize he's a Wake Forest alum, former governor who's trying to run for that office again? He's currently a congressman, Democrat, by the way. Former governor of North Carolina and a former U.S. senator from the Tar Heel State, Melville Broughton, Wake Forest alum. You also have a bunch of diplomats who've called Wake Forest their alma mater, mayors and more. A very distinguished list of people 
including football players, Ricky Prohl, longtime NFL receiver, a Wake Forest alumnus. How about maybe the greatest Wake Forest athlete ever, Tim Duncan, the greatest athlete to ever come out of (laughs) the U.S. Virgin Islands. I think that was where he was originally from, but always a Wake Forest Stephen Deegan. I better not leave out Arnold Palmer, a great golfer, a Wake Forest alum, and they've had several guys who've gone on and had tremendous golfing years, including Webb Simpson currently on the PGA Tour. It's For its size and being a very small school in North Carolina, it's on Tobacco Road, but in some ways it has to fight extra hard as it tries to get attention against the North Carolinas and Dukes of the world when it comes to basketball. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Again, we're spotlighting Wake today as our featured school. Let me also tell you about some of the great traditions. If you can make it into Winston-Salem for a game, games now played at the renamed stadium there. It's now Truist Field, not to be confused with Truist Park. That Truist Park is found in Cobb County, Georgia. If you go there, you're going to see an Atlanta Braves baseball game. If you go to Truist Field, you're going to see a Wake Forest Demon Deacon football game. In fact, you're going to see a Wake Forest Demon Deacon football game if you go there on Friday night, September 3rd, because Old Dominion comes in from Norfolk, Virginia for a game. That's the opening night at Truist Field on September 3rd. Some of the great traditions at Wake Forest include Arnold Palmer Day, the great Wake Forest golfer. Back when Wake Forest was a member of the Southern Conference, Arnold Palmer was a collegiate golfer. And Arnold Palmer Day was created to honor one of the most esteemed golfers who attended Wake Forest College back in that late 1940s. He became Wake Forest's first individual NCAA champion back in 1949. He was the first ACC champion in 1953, the first year of that conference that Wake Forest was a founding member of. And Arnold Palmer went on to win seven majors, including four Masters. And you have Arnold Palmer Day on the Wake Forest campus each and every year. How about Capture the Flag, previously called Humans versus Zombies? That takes place as a tradition on the Wake Forest campus. Then you got, if you got Arnold Palmer Day, you got to have Chris P. Day. That is in recognition of Chris Paul, Wake Forest great basketball player. And like Arnold Palmer Day, it's held in the spring around the time of the Masters Tournament. Chris Paul Day celebrates an athletic role model in CP3, Chris Paul the Third. Of course, one of the cool things about Wake Forest is its own mascot slash nickname, the Demon Deacons. And now, on that costume mascot, Wake Forest has gone through multiple versions of it, beginning before they were the Demon Deacons, they were the Tigers, then the Baptists, and then became the Demon Deacons. There's really good stories going back in time about how exactly they got that Demon Deacon nickname. But it's definitely different. And people that are Wake fans love the angry preacher, if you will, of Wake Forest University. You have something called Hit the Bricks at Wake Forest. And this goes along with Brian Piccolo, a 1965 graduate of Wake Forest. He was a football star for both the Wake Forest Demon Deacons and the Chicago Bears of the NFL. In 1969, while playing for the Chicago Bears, 
Brian Piccolo was diagnosed with embryonal cell sarcoma and lost his battle with cancer in 1970. Ten years later, in 1980, students began the Brian Piccolo Cancer Research Fund, benefiting patients and their loved ones at the Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center's Comprehensive Cancer Center. In 2003, students held the first annual Hit the Bricks Relay Race, and they raised $3,000. Now, 16 years plus later, participants have run over 300,000 laps and raised close to a half million dollars. Over $3 million total has been raised for the fund since 1980. Hit the bricks to help out a great and keep the memory of Brian Piccolo alive and well. Magnolia's dot the campus there in Wake Forest. You also have something called the Moravian Love Feast. The Wake Forest community packs Walt Ch- Wake Chapel for the first Sunday night in December for the largest Moravian-style love feast in America. The Moravian Love Feast is based on the Agape Feast and meals described in the Bible, which were symbols of unity and love. A Moravian Love Feast also focuses on the singing of hymns which describe love and har- har- harmony. The Wake Forest tradition began in 1965. And that is an interesting topic that we need to bring back on the Y'all Show sometime, the whole Moravian religious experience in North Carolina. That is a actual denomination that has its traces into that portion of Europe called Moravia, which I think is modern-day Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic or somewhere right around there. But at Wake, they have this Moravian love feast. If you want to learn more about that, please check that out a really cool thing at wake is the lighting of the quad that's a fun thing that goes on at wake forest each and every year they also have at wake roll the quad a tradition done in front of wake chapel after major athletic victories students in wake forest community rush to the quad to roll the campus trees with toilet paper something right out of tumor's corner it sounds like but at wake they do it right there in front of the chapel. I don't know if that's sacrilegious or not, but they have a good time rolling the quad on the Wake Forest University campus. And those are some of the many, many fun things that Wake Forest University is known for. And here on our tour across the southeast, we're happy to tell you all about the Demon Deacons, and they're getting ready to start the 2021 season. Again, that first game is that Friday night of Labor Day weekend as Old Dominion, the Monarchs, come down from the Commonwealth for a game against the ACC Atlantic's Wake Forest Demon Deacons. And we'll be right here to tell you all about it when toe meets leather. Coming up after the break, the Y'all Show will continue on. We've got to look at some news headlines going on on this Wednesday. All that ahead. By the way, coming up on the Thursday Y'all Show, our spotlight college across the southeast on our tour is going to be, we're going all the way to West Texas. It's the Texas Tech Red Raiders. We'll be telling you all about Raider Red and that little bell they got that they ring there and the mask rider and more and what's going on with the Red Raider football team of 2021. That's on the Thursday Y'all Show, so you don't want to miss out on that. More of Talk with a Southern Accent is coming right up. Go Deeks! If you're worried about your borderline blood pressure, hear how others are taking charge with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. Garlic works safely and naturally to support my blood pressure. Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula has a custom blend of garlic, vitamins, and minerals, so you know it works. No garlic taste, no garlic breath. Take charge of your blood pressure with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The term natural reference is only the garlic in the product. Use as directed. Okay, just got a few minutes left here on the show all about the Southeast. And I want to tell you with Skinner playing there, some news that broke on Tuesday, the former drummer of Slipknot, Joey Jordison, has died at the age of 46. Additional details forthcoming there. But again, a founding member of Slipknot, which started in Iowa, metal band, and now at 46. This drummer has passed away in the thought there with the Jordison family. Joe Biden has announced a vaccination requirement across the federal government. He's going to announce this on Thursday, but big news as he is making federal employees and contractors be vaccinated against COVID-19 or be required to submit to regular testing and my mitigation requirements. That, according to some developing sources with direct knowledge of the matter. His Thursday announcement will come in remarks where Biden is also expected to lay out a series of new steps, including steps and incentives in an attempt to spur this spreading Delta variant that's going across the country rapidly. It also will follow the decision by the Department of Veteran Affairs to require its frontline healthcare workers to be vaccinated over the course of the next two months. Biden alluded to the looming announcement on Tuesday when he said about vaccinating federal workers that it's under consideration and it looks like that's going to happen. Again, federal workers required to be vaccinated. An announcement forthcoming. While he's announcing federal workers will have to be vaccinated, the governor of West Virginia at least said he's opposing vaccine mandates for West Virginia's state employees. Jim Justice announcing this earlier in the week. He said that it's not anything West Virginia is considering at the current time. The Mountain State Chief Executive said, I think right now in the state of West Virginia, we've done so well and where we are at this point in time, considering mandating kids or colleges or teachers or state employees or whatever it may be to be vaccinated. 
I wish like crazy that they all were, but that's not on the radar right now. Those are the words of West Virginia's Governor Jim Justice. A breaking and developing story out of Selma, Alabama on Tuesday. A police officer with the Selma Police Force was fatally shot at his apartment and a significant other injured. And now we're mourning the loss of this Selma police officer in Dallas County, Alabama, as authorities now releasing the name after he was gunned down. While on duty, this happened in the middle of the night there in in Selma, Alabama, but a Selma police officer by the name of Marquise Moore killed in the line of duty at 25 years old. The Dallas County, Alabama District Attorney Michael Jackson said a shooting happened between 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning when Officer Marquise Moore, who was on duty, stopped by his apartment at Selma Square Apartments for his <laughs> lunch break. And again, this was right in the middle of his shift in the middle of the night. A suspect approached Moore and opened fire, also wounding a woman who was Moore's significant other. The woman was hospitalized. Not sure about her condition at this time, but again, an officer with the Selma, Alabama Police Force, Marquise Moore, killed at the age of 25. Our thoughts to the family of this fallen officer. On Tuesday on Capitol Hill, Benny Thompson, the Republic, the rather the Democratic congressman from the Mississippi Delta, was leading the committee looking into the Capitol assault of January 6th and some of the Capitol police officers testifying before Congressman Thompson and other committee members like Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois. Some of the police officers testifying said that they felt like they went through hell back on January 6th. Some of the officers, including Metropolitan Police Officer Michael Fanone, got very, very emotional. Kensinger got emotional. He got teary-eyed talking about it. As I said in hour one, I really have to wonder how authentic some of this was. But taking it to face value, they were pretty upset about what happened on January 6th. One Capitol Police officer, Harry Dunn, said one group of rioters, perhaps he said 20 people, screamed racial epithets at him as he was trying to keep them from breaching the House chamber. Sometimes the officers got emotional, angry. This one officer who had a pretty good Southern accent, that was Michael Fanone, at one point slammed his fist down on the table during the session there on Capitol Hill on Tuesday. The grandson of Reverend Billy Graham is in a fight for his life. Jonathan Lotz is about 50 years old. He is the son of Billy Graham's daughter, and his mom put out a statement this week about her son, Jonathan Lotz. He's got a fight right now with COVID-19. He's in a hospital that the name has not been released, but his mother and Graham Lotz said that pray he will not have to go on a ventilator, that his oxygen levels would increase, that his lungs will be strengthened, healed, and that his health will be fully restored. That the words of his mama and the daughter of Billy Graham. And this Jonathan Lotz is one of Billy Graham's five 
I'm sorry, his wife, his mother, and Graham Lotz, one of Billy Graham's five children, and her son Jonathan is a cancer survivor, and he directs the Jonathan Lotz Ministries, and is in a very very tough fight with COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen right now, our thoughts are certainly with the Billy Graham family and the Lotz family in this struggle. A Tuscaloosa dive bar that's been there on the Strip in T-Town for 42 years is shutting its doors. Egan's. Egan's Bar at 1229 University Boulevard. If you've ever partied down in T-Town, you have probably been right there on the Strip and been to Egan's. And unfortunately, it is shutting down this weekend. You might want to head on in there for one last cup of sweet tea, if you'd like, and enjoy the last couple of moments of this legendary venue in a great southern college town tuscaloosa alabama and lastly on our look at headlines across the southeast we need to close it out with a happy story a feel-good story and that comes to us from mother nature and it comes to us from edisto island in south carolina as right there on edisto beach in edisto island you have the edisto beach state park and some volunteers and workers were out conducting a normal inventory of sea turtle nests, and they just spotted the last few days three loggerhead hatchlings, and one of those sea turtle hatchlings had a, the turtle had two heads, a two-headed turtle, and that's what we're telling you all about today. That is a result of genetic mutation Other two-headed hatchlings have been found at state parks in South Carolina in the past, but this two-headed turtle is the first ever recorded at Edisto Beach State Park. After the volunteers and workers took a few photos of this cute little sea turtle with two heads, the hatchling and the other two sea turtles found ended up being safely released into the Atlantic Ocean. And a beautiful, beautiful sight there at Edisto Beach State Park in South Carolina and a very, very lucky turtle to have survived. And perhaps with two heads, this turtle will have a wonderful life out in the Atlantic Ocean and perhaps produce its own cute little sea turtles down the road. And we'll all just be very, very appreciative of what the good Lord gives us with our beautiful creatures, even the ones with two heads. we got one last segment coming up right after this. Stay tuned. This is y'all. My doctor told me my blood pressure is borderline. I figured I could worry about it or do something about it. So I took control with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. It works safely and naturally to help maintain healthy blood pressure with a custom blend of garlic, vitamins, and minerals. And it's odor-free. I'm taking charge with Garlic Healthy Blood Pressure Formula. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The term natural reference is only the garlic in the product. Use as directed. Appreciate y'all being on with us. We've had a fantastic Wednesday Y'all Show. We'll be right back here Thursday for three more hours of great conversation about the Southeast. Stay tuned for the fun. Texas Tech is our featured school on our 44 tour stops around the Southeast. We also have the latest news and entertainment, all that on the Y'all Show. Have a great rest of your day, and thank you for listening.